Open your Bible, if you would, to John 13. John chapter 13. My name is Kendall Age. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you, I've served as the senior pastor here at Mercy Hill. It's a joy to be with you this morning, to be looking to God's Word together this morning. And you're wondering why we're not in Matthew. So why don't we start there? Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be uh, taking the next couple weeks to do a brief series uh, called Church 101, uh, where we talk through the uh, uh, structure of the local church. Uh, in, in a few weeks, we're going to be introducing to the church some candidates to be deacons in our local church. And we want to, before we introduce candidates to be deacons, we want to make sure everybody knows what a deacon is. And, uh, and so we're going to take the next couple weeks to just talk through some of the structure that God has given to the local church. Um, I'm going to give you a little preview on, on the series. Starting next week, we'll talk about elders so that we can understand what elders are. Then we'll talk specifically about deacons after that. Um, but last week and this week, we wanted just to begin by talking about serving. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And the reason is because the word deacon in Scripture means servant. So we're going to introduce the concept of, of, talk, of deacons by just talking about serving. Now, here's the thing. We are going to get to deacons at some point, but this message is not for them. It's for you. Because whether you're called to be a deacon or not, you are called to be a servant. We are all called to be servants within the church of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so we're going to be considering that together, which is why we're going to be in John chapter 13. Uh, we're actually doing part two of a message. So if you were here last week, uh, you remember we talked about the pattern of serving. And I used a, an example, which I'll share again, of my grandma on her sewing machine, right? And how did my grandma make all the wonderful blouses and things that she made? Well, she followed a pattern. She went to the store. She got a pattern. She followed this pattern and was able to make all of these, these wonderful things. And the question I would have this morning is, where did that pattern come from? Where did she get that pattern? Well, on a certain level, you say, the store. Okay, fine. Came from the store. Where did the store get it? The factory. Okay, fine. Came from the factory. Where did it come from? And at some point, you had to get back to some kind of original. Maybe it was the original out of the mind of like some French designer or something like that. Maybe it was the original just just a, a piece of clothing that was very appealing, that was great, that they said, you know what, we want, we want to use that as a model. We're going to model after that. So last week when we talked about serving, we talked about this pattern of serving, which is, which is passed down through the church. We're, we're to model this just as the Apostle Paul modeled it. But Paul was not the original. This morning I want us to take us, take us back to the original, the original that from which all the patterns were made, the uh, ultimate servant, Jesus Christ. It is interesting, friends, and humbling that when God decided to give humanity a pattern for serving, he realized that humanity could not come up with one on its own. And so he stepped into time 
and modeled serving so that we could see it. Fully human, Jesus Christ, fully human, serving as a human man, yet fully God, serving as no human ever would have before. It took God to serve as man perfectly. So I might ask you this morning, if we were to uh, consider where God served most clearly, where would we look in the Scriptures? Where would we look to see uh, Christ's glory most on display in emptying Himself, in making Himself nothing, in taking on the form of a servant? I think if you were to spend some time thinking about that, you would answer the question rightly, the cross we would look to the cross because there's never been serving like that as Jesus emptied himself and made himself nothing and became a servant, even obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. But I will say, sometimes looking at the cross is a little bit like looking at the sun. In other words, it, it, it's, it's almost blinding. You ever try to look at the sun? Don't. Don't try to look at the sun, right? It's best to, to the, the light cast from the sun, you can look at other things. But looking directly at the sun, it, be, it becomes difficult. And there is a sense as human beings, when we look at the cross, to feel as though it is so otherly to us that we can almost not relate. So I want to look to the nearest reflection from the cross this morning. And the nearest reflection, Christ gave himself the night before he was to go and suffer. And that's the story we look at here in John 13. It's the story, you're probably familiar with it, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he does this here in, to purposely prefigure the cross. This is a pre-telling of the cross the night before the cross. And now as we look at it, the light of the cross reflects off of this like the moon or something, just brightly. But perhaps we can see the humanity of Christ a little bit more, identify with it a little bit more, see something of serving a little bit more clearly as we look at this beautiful picture of Christ serving. So we're going to read together John 13, uh, verse 1 down through verse 17. So follow along with me quietly as I read out loud. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. 
Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he has said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and replaced, resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. God's word. Father, we pray that you would help us to behold Christ this morning, this ultimate servant, and that we would worship in response that our heart would be captivated by the one who would stoop so low, so willingly for those that he loves. Capture our hearts afresh by his humility, by his willingness to serve, and then transform us by that very same sight of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So this morning... Simple goal. I just want to look at Jesus together. Just want to behold Christ as he walks through these some of these final moments in his life. He's going to go from here out to the Garden of Gethsemane, spend some time in prayer, at which place he will then be betrayed by Judas and brought in for a midnight trial, the first of a couple. He will stand before Pontius Pilate and he will be crucified. He will not sleep again between now and then. He is on the precipice of the passion, the beginning of his going to the cross. And at that moment, he decides to serve. So I want to consider a couple things about his serving. The first is that Jesus serves when he is distracted. He serves when he is distracted. We can see this in verse 1, first part of verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So it's interesting. John tells us here, not just what's happening, he tells us what Jesus knows. He's giving us a rare window into the mind of, of Jesus. What an amazing thing that the scripture is able to do. Jesus knows that this is it. He knows that he is about to die. It says very clearly that he's uh, that the time had come to depart out of this world. His time is is over. Which means he's going to go from here to the garden. Do you remember the picture of Jesus in the garden? Sweating great drops of blood as he agonizes before the Father, 
crying out, if there's any way for this to pass from me, take this cup away from me, yet not my will but yours be done. He's going he's to bear in advance the agony of the cross in that garden. Have you ever borne something in advance? You know, I, I do this on the way to the dentist. Do you? You know? No, I'm not going to think about it. Just going to go. Only, may, may as well only suffer once. Don't think about it the whole day. Just go and get it done. That is pressing in on him. No one has ever suffered like he was about to. And he knows it. What kind of weight was there on his shoulders in this moment? And in this moment when if anyone had a right to be distracted, surely it was the Savior. Surely if anyone could, could take a minute to just focus on themselves for a second, try to take himself and prepare himself, in this moment, he chooses to serve. In this moment, he gives his attention to others. In this moment, he, he does not put himself and his needs and his desires and all the stress that he's feeling at the center of what's going on. He puts others at the center of what's going on, and he serves when distracted. Number one, he serves when distracted. Number two, he serves with a love for others. Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Again, John is writing as one whose feet were washed by Jesus. It strikes me as I'm talking how humbling that must have actually been. I can understand Peter's, you're going to do this for me? That's not right. Response. John writes as one who was there. And again he writes, giving us insight, not just to the actions, but the attitude of Christ. The, the mindset, what was motivating Jesus, John saw right through the actions and said it was love. Jesus knew he didn't have much time left, and rather than focusing on what that meant for him, he was focusing on what that meant for them. He was thinking about them. He knew he was going to be taken from them, and that that would impact them, and that they needed more from him in the final few moments that he had, and he was going to seize this moment. And it wasn't that he was going to seize it out of duty, per se, or out of what he should do, he was going to seize this moment because he loved them. And so, in that sense, he was gladly delivered into serving because he loved those that he was serving. And that is remarkable. So, serves when distracted, number two. Serves with a love for others, number three. He serves the undeserving. He is serving the undeserving. Let us consider what's going on here. They were having uh, the Passover meal in a rented room. The disciples had gone on ahead and prepared the meal. They had this room that's great. 
Uh, but there was noticeably absent something that typically happens at a meal, and that is a servant who's there to wash everyone's feet. The roads were dirty, and the feet were gross, and you sat with your feet close to the table because you sat on the ground. And, you know, that's not appetizing. Not to mention your friend's feet right next to you while you're eating. Not appetizing, right? And so there was an obvious need. This was culturally normative that the feet would be washed before dinner. And we have to note that none of the disciples got up. None of them got up to serve. He's the master. They're the servant. He's about to tell them that in this very passage. Yet none of them get up. Further, he gets up to serve those who are sinners, he being the only non-sinner in the room. Further, he gets up to wash the feet of his betrayer. During supper, verse 2, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus rose from supper. John makes it clear. He makes the point. He brings that context into the literary context so that we can see in that context what Jesus was knowingly doing. He wasn't serving the good guys. He wasn't serving those who deserved it. He wasn't serving those who were easy to serve, who were fun to serve, and he was certainly not serving those who would give him any return on this investment. In fact, there was before him one betrayer and one denier. The one that said, oh, don't wash my feet, Lord. You're too good for that. Would, within 24 hours, saying, I never knew him. One betrayer, one denier, all forsakers. Not one of those whose feet he's about to wash will stay with him. The shepherd will be struck. The sheep will scatter. If ever Christ needed a friend, and they would all walk away, and he knows it, and he rises to serve them in their undeserving state. So he serves when he's distracted. He serves with a love for others. He serves the undeserving. Number four, he serves despite his, his own identity. Verse three, it's amazing how much context John packs into this. Everything he's saying, though, he wants us to notice. Jesus knowing, here we are again, looking into the mind of Christ in this moment, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He stands up self-consciously as the Son of God, as the one before whom every knee will one day bow, as the highest king the one with the greatest glory, the one before whom everyone else is lower. He knew that's who he was. He came from God, and he was going back there. 
And knowing that, he rose from supper to serve. I think when I say he, he served despite his own identity, I'm saying it in such a way that perhaps we can identify with. So that you can picture yourself being in a position where the culture might say, you're too high to serve. Where you could choose to lay that aside and serve despite your identity. But I want to say it a different way because I think this is actually how it was for him. He served because of his identity, not despite. We have to serve despite how we see ourselves. He served because of reality, because of who he is. He rose from supper to serve the undeserving. So he serves when he's distracted. He serves with a love for others. He serves the undeserving. He serves because of his identity. And then number five, he serves in the lowest place. In the lowest place, verse 4, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here is a picture of Christ going to the cross. Here's a picture of what his whole life has been about. He lays aside his outer garments, those things which might distinguish him in some way, as somebody, as a teacher, whatever. He has already laid aside the, the, the glory due to him. He's already laid aside all the prerogatives of deity. Those are already laying down behind him. So many garments he's taken off to this point. And he lays aside one more garment and wraps himself in the clothing of a servant. Why? that he might cleanse his disciples. That's why. Do you see how this is a picture of the cross? He lays aside all of his dignity that he might clean those who need to be cleaned. Do you know that this job, though it was frequently done in their culture, was only done by the lowest slave in the household? You could not compel the second lowest slave to do this. Only the lowest, and it could not be a Jew. It must be a foreign slave that would do this. It was thought too low for one of the people of God to do. And here is one of the people of God who does not consider it too low for him and steps down to this lowest place to wash their feet. So he serves in the lowest place. I've got a lot of numbers this morning. Number six. I need a second hand. Number six. He serves to demonstrate the gospel. He serves to demonstrate the gospel. Verse seven. Jesus, well, let's say verse six. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter, you need me to cleanse you. 
This is not optional. I know you think this is below me, and in some way it is. But if I don't do this, no one can. And you will have no share in me, apart from me reaching down to make you clean. This is the only way. Church, this is the only way you've been made clean. Friends, we were, we were talking in every square inch this morning about the reality of sin and the odiousness of self-righteousness amongst Christians. How can we be self-righteous when it took the Lord of glory to reach down to cleanse you and me? This is all we have, that He reached down low and made us right before Him. He served to demonstrate the gospel. He even says to Peter, listen, I can't explain this right now. All right? I can't explain it. He just says in verse 7, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter's thinking, after what? After dinner? After What are we talking about? He has no idea. Jesus knows exactly. There's only one after that he's speaking of here. After he goes and, and completes the picture that he's begun right here on the cross for Peter's sake. And Peter goes, oh, oh, I thought you were humbling yourself when you washed my feet. I had no idea what you were going to do for my sake. How you would lower yourself to cleanse me. So he serves to demonstrate the gospel. I'm going to do a quick review because I have a point number seven. But don't worry, it's the last one. But there are subpoints. Okay. Jesus serves when distracted. He serves with a love for others. He serves the undeserving. He serves because of his identity. He serves in the lowest place and he serves to demonstrate the gospel. And last one, he serves as an example for you. He serves as an example. Verse 15, he clearly says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here is a call to application. Here is a call for us to go forth differently than we walked in. And to go and not just know something new, but blessed are you if you do them. So we're called to serve as Christ is serving here. Now, some have taken this to mean that Christians should practice foot washing. Perhaps you've been in a church that's done that. I don't, I don't believe that's a bad practice to do, but that's not what he's directing here. What he's directing is that we're called to serve as he served. That we're called to position ourselves to be each other's servants. Hey, if I, your Lord and Master, can wash your feet, can serve you, then you all ought to be able to serve each other. That, that, that ought to be okay. And so let us apply together and consider, do we serve when distracted? He served when he was distracted. Do you serve when distracted? What distracts you from serving? What is it in life that 
grabs your attention or weighs so much on your mind that, ah, you know, another time. I think he had more on his mind. I think he had more reason to be distracted. And yet, at the most distracted point any humans had, he chose to serve. He chose to think of others, and he chose to serve out of love for others. Friend, how goes your heart with love for those around you? Start in your home. You might live alone, in which case we'll get to the next circle, but otherwise, start in your home. Do you love those in your home as Christ has called you to love them? Do you picture yourself as the servant of the home? I will be the first to do this or that or the other. Christ, though the master, not only pictured himself, but became the servant of all around him. Do you serve with a love for others, even when distracted? Number three, here's the hard one. Do you serve the undeserving? Because as you were thinking about those in your home, chances are you thought of some way in which they're not deserving of being served. That's the thing about those in our home. We know them well. If you wait to serve those who truly deserve it, you'll never serve. If Jesus had waited to serve the deserving, you would not be saved, and nor would I. For there were none deserving of what he came to do. None. Empty group. And yet he served. And then he called us directly and boldly to do likewise for each other, to serve each other, even though we're undeserving. And all of this context was put here on a purpose. Jesus, knowing Judas was about to betray him, got up from supper. Now you go and do likewise. Like, it's right there for us. We are called to serve the undeserving. Tim Keller, wonderful book on serving, um, has to do with deacons as well, uh, has a great quote in here. It simply says this, serving begins where gratitude and applause end. Serving begins where gratitude and applause end. You know, serving's hard for all of us, right? Like, can I just come down here for a minute? I know the sound team's going to get angry because my mic does. This is hard for all of us. I don't kill this at home either, okay? It's hard for all of us to do, uh, but any sinner can serve somebody that they expect to get a reward from. Any pagan can serve somebody that they know is going to pay them well or honor them publicly or that they can kind of get some kind of benefit, social benefit from that person by serving. Sure, count me in. This is not that. This is well beyond that. This is serving when the applause has died away or never came to start with. This is serving when, in fact, there's not, not just not applause, but maybe some critique 
some expressions of unhappiness with the way that you're serving. We're called to serve the undeserving out of love for them. And then number four, serve because of your identity. Jesus served because of his identity. Friend, this is important, that you know you are a child of God, that you have been served by Jesus Christ, that you have been washed free of your sins, that God looks upon you with his fatherly smile in Christ Jesus. In other words, you're not serving to earn God's favor today. You're not serving to get God to smile at you today. You know where you're at with God because of Jesus Christ. And then you know that God defines you, not those around you, not the looks of this world, the applause or the lack thereof of this world, but that God himself defines who you are, sets your value in none less than Christ himself. You can then free yourself of this kind of foolish pride. We try to make much of us. Say, no, he's made much of me remarkably in Jesus. Lord, help me empty myself for those around me. So we serve because of our identity and then serve in the lowest place. This is not the invitation to, occasionally I will help clean up the dishes from dinner. You know, If you're not doing that, that's a great place to start. Occasionally. Help with the dishes from dinner. You know, stop elbowing each other, okay? Uh, no. <laughs> this is being willing to serve in the low place. He made himself nothing for me and for you. And if he hadn't made himself nothing, we'd still be stuck. And yet he made himself nothing. And so we are called to serve in the lowest place. And the last one, number six, he served to demonstrate the gospel and we serve to demonstrate the gospel as well. See, he did this saying directly to Peter, I know you don't get it, but one day you'll see what I'm doing here. Right? One day you're going to see what I'm doing here. Friend, when you get to serve somebody, you get to demonstrate something of the serving of Jesus to them. Something that maybe they've never seen. They've never felt. Our words of the gospel, when we're doing evangelism, our words matter. We, there's no evangelism without speaking the words of the gospel. But when those words are accompanied by servant-hearted action, it incarnates the gospel in front of them. They see something of the serving Savior in you. You serve not... Because we're just servants. Like that's an end unto itself. No, the end is to magnify the servant. That they could see something of him. Paul says that, that when we suffer, we suffer to make up for what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I don't know about you, that sounds kind of blasphemous at first. But you know, it's Paul, so probably not. But it doesn't sound right, does it? Make up for what's lacking in Christ's sufferings? How could there be anything lacking? There was nothing lacking in what he did once for all. 
What lacks is bringing that to people so that people hear and know about the suffering Savior. What does that take? It takes suffering to get it there. Just ask missionaries. You don't have to ask missionaries. You can ask in your own life. Does it take suffering? It does. And a kind of suffering is serving. You want people to know about the serving Savior, it's going to take you serving. Out of love, when you're distracted, when they're undeserving, in a low place. That moves the gospel forward. That's the legs of the gospel, how it walks to someone else when they see us serving. So friends, we have the joy to serve, to demonstrate the gospel. How about this Jesus? Who could have written such a story as this? I mean, John was a good writer. But wow, the Christ that he knew. Earlier I talked about this sense of, what is it, reverence, of awe, of displaced concern when Christ would come and wash our feet. Friend, he has done so much more than that for you to merely wash your feet at this point would not add at all to the substance of what he's done for us. Praise God for the suffering servant who came to cleanse us through his serving and then who calls us to serve one another that he would be magnified, that he would be glorified. Let's pray before. Father, thank you for opening our eyes to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would continue to do that and help our hearts to respond as they ought in worship, in gratitude, in adoration for who you are, for what you've done on our behalf. You are worthy of all of our praise. Tune our hearts to sing that praise now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.